We were broke college kids. We didn't have money for costuming. And so it was very much somebody's running a LARP next Saturday, show up, you know, or rather sign up now, get your character sheet. You know, you have a week to read it. Nowadays, you know, we're in our 30s. We all have jobs. We have disposable income. I am attending a LARP uh, later this month, actually, where some of us have been sewing our own costumes for the past nine months, ordering <laughs> swords from Japan, and, uh, you know, there's there's a very large spectrum of how, how deeply we can get into this if you want to. It's time for an adventure in the worlds of user experience and game design. On Season 3 of the Design Thinking Games Podcast, join old-school UXers and aspiring game designers Michael Schofield, Tim Broadwater, and an array of quirky characters from pixelated heroes to mischievous NPCs in search of the ultimate player experience. Design thinking is a process that is applied to different types of games in this podcast. If you're wondering whether your favorite games have already come up, you can listen through the backlog at designthinkinggames.com. Now, Rapid Protobot, fire the design thinking laser! I'm Kaya. In the TTRPG circles, I'm known as Mirrorlock Atelier. I design small indie games about identity, contemplation, and self-transformation. Um, I am also a theater LARPer who has attended and run several theater LARP cons, and I might be best known as the player of Lillison in the actual play Curse of Strahd Twice Bitten, which is the thing that sort of got me into game design in the first place, oddly enough. In my non-magical life, I do a number of very boring things, uh, which mostly involving uh, patent filing, but mostly that's an excuse for me to get the money to do the things that I really enjoy in life, which is to basically open doors to new worlds of the imagination. For people who don't know the term, theater LARPing, well, uh, LARP itself is live action role play, and that covers an awful lot of ground. When you say LARP, many people in the US are going to think, uh, ah, yes, you, you run around with buffer sticks in the woods hitting each other, or you, know, you have that one guy throwing spell packets going, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. That is buffer LARP. That is a very thriving community. I have so much respect for those guys. You know, you run around eight hours every Saturday, you're going to get fit. What I do mostly is called theater LARP or parlor LARP. It's actually more on the side of approaching TTRPG, um, but with some very crucial differences. So in the tradition that I'm used to, which is a very specific New York City-centric tradition, um, it's called Secrets and Powers LARP. And essentially what happens is the writers of the game figure out beforehand what they want the setting to be, who they want the characters to be, what sort of secrets might come out during the game. Uh, they plot this all out and then they write character sheets. They embed all of these secrets into the character sheets, which will generally be sort of a written story of somebody's life, along with things like, you know, also you can force somebody to tell the truth six times per game or something like that. 
And then the players are just handed these sheets that tell them, you know, who they're playing, what they know, what they want, and what they have. And when game time rolls around, these are generally one-shot games, all the players are essentially put into a room or a series of rooms together, knowing what they know and intending to do what they intend to do. And the writers slash GMs essentially just stand back. They have nothing to do with the actual action. And they just watch as all of these secrets that they've written in uh, sort of come out over the course of play. So somebody, you know, one of the players might be looking for the guy who killed his brother. And another player, unaware of this, might know that, you know, five years ago uh, in a bar fight, uh, he struck and accidentally killed this random guy. And then a third PC might know that, you know, oh, hey, random guy that was killed five years ago, I hung out with him once and he told me that his name was, you know, it turns out to be the first player's brother. And um, this is not going to come out immediately, but eventually at some point it will come out. It's those players' choices as to how they're going to react. You don't really hear a lot about these more performance-focused games. When you say the word LARP, I've been doing quite a lot of evangelism for them, really. When you were describing it, I was like, this is like true dungeon, which I'm not sure if you've ever done. Very much where you're talking about the rooms and, and kind of, and there's a GM or DM there kind of guiding you. It's more fantasy based and there's like hockey skeet ball or something used for combat or something. But if you took the, the construct there and then had much more social deduction and role playing and interactivity between players and secrets that only certain, that just sounds, how am I not heard of this? Well, it sounds cool. Exactly. Yeah. I've been running a few online after the pandemic first hit, people couldn't play these in person. And so a number of writers have been writing games that are designed to run online through Zoom or through Discord. And it's interesting to take lessons from LARPing because they are written, you know, they're designed so that the GMs don't have to narrate what's going on and they don't have to adjudicate roles or anything like that for the most part. And looking at how you can sort of package those up and bring those into the TTRPG side has been a very interesting and fruitful field of inquiry for me. With True Dungeons, you know, some person can just show up and try it for the first time and see if they like it. And then some people, they, it really scratches this like crafter side of them where they want to, where they actually want to work with a persona. Is there a spectrum there? Absolutely. Um, a lot of us started in college when you know, we were broke college kids. We didn't have money for costuming. And so it was very much somebody's running a LARP next Saturday, show up, you know, or rather sign up now, get your character sheet. You know, you have a, a week to read it. Um, nowadays, you know, we're in our 30s. We all have jobs. We have disposable income. I am attending a LARP uh, later this month, actually, where some of us have been sewing our own costumes for the past nine months, ordering <laughs> swords from Japan. And, uh, you know, there's there's a very large spectrum of how, how deeply you can get into this if you want to. When you design for that type of game... I'm assuming after so many people, you have to have multiple game masters. I don't know how, how do you even plan like something that is like, you know, with a, a board game, you can definitely test and say like, okay, we're, we're averaging, you know, this 30 minutes or 20 minutes of play time or video games are pretty clocked. Even um, organized play 
for D&D Adventure League, Pathfinder Society, Starfinder Society, anything like that, Shadowrun Missions, it's a table of four to five, six hours max. It's it's gated. Can you speak to the design and the management of it at all? If You can have partial crutches to lean on, such as uh, in the design of the game, you might say, uh, I plan to have this game run for eight hours and... It is known, it is in a public document that players have beforehand, that at the two-hour mark, uh, there is a conference scheduled between these, you know, world leaders. Let's say this is a, you know, world summit sort of political game. Um, At the four-hour mark, uh, there is going to be the second session of this summit. At the six-hour mark, uh, if these leaders have not yet come to an agreement, that is when the NPC armies are going to start uh, attacking each other. Um, But you can say this, but um, you can't really determine uh, when the players are actually going to come to their final agreements. It could very well be that uh, everybody uh, sits down at the two hour mark at the first summit and all of a sudden peace breaks out. Uh, This is a common problem. Um, Players are disgustingly polite. They just want to, you know, solve problems. And so you have to write in uh, sufficient incentives for players to want to be stubborn about the things that they want, uh, to want to, yes, to want to backstab each other, or at least uh, to want to, you know, be in conflict for each other for limited resources. Uh, And it's usually better to overdo it on that axis than to underdo it, um, because you know, if peace breaks out at two hours, everybody's just going to sit around for the next six hours. Um, But if, you know, they can't reach peace at two hours, they can't reach peace at four hours, they can't reach peace at six hours, then you've already planned for that. You know, uh, war is already on the table. It's already something that everybody else knows. Another common uh, tool is to, you know, you thought you had brokered peace at four hours, but all of a sudden at five hours, unbeknownst to the players, but you know, this is on the GM schedule at five hours, um, a volcano, you know, has erupted, uh, breaking news, you know, this entire region of the map is, you know, uh, is obliterated. You know, the situation has changed in some way. And then the players have a limited amount of time to have to react to that, uh, reframe their understanding of the situation and, um, you know, adapt to it. In addition to the games that you've designed for yourself, you have designed a system so that others can design games. How do you get to Aspire? Um, Aspire also happened by accident. Uh, this is a running theme with me. Uh, <laughs> it really started when I wrote my first game, uh, Her Odyssey, and that was based off of the Keltrop Core SRD um, by Titanomachy uh, RPG. And I read that SRD, uh, with, it's a very uh, simple and elegant system. You have a bunch of D4s, uh, you roll the D4s depending on um, your stats or any um, advantages you might have, you choose the highest out of that pool. Um, And then depending on what number is on that D4, that is your result for whatever challenge uh, that you are rolling. Uh, One is you don't get what you want and things get worse. Two is uh, you don't get what you want, but things 
don't get worse. Three is you get what you want, but things get complicated. And four is you get what you want and more. Can you introduce an SRD to somebody who might not be familiar? So an SRD stands for System Resource Document, um, which is a terribly non-descriptive name. Um, but in the <laughs> in the yeah. TTRPG world, um, technically, it means all of the mechanics of a system that you can use to build a game around. And unfortunately, the place where most people are going to encounter it is uh, the D&D SRD or the Pathfinder SRD. Um, and that's really a case where it's been taken and sort of changed into something else. Uh, because the D&D SRD or the Pathfinder SRD is a list of all of the rules, all of the spells, all of the, some of the items, uh, you know, class mechanics, whatever, um, that was meant to be okay, outside designers can use these and, you know, look at maybe a class mechanic and then make their own item referencing that class mechanic. But in practice, it's often players are going to go to this website with a database to look things up, you know, look up the rules text if they don't remember exactly. Um, so that's sort of the primary usage that many people have. Um, on the indie TTRBG side of things, um, the SRDs are a more focused meaning. Um, they are what happens when somebody writes out the mechanical bones of a system and then puts it out there and says, all right, anybody can pick this up and write a game around it. Um, so the Keltrop Core SRD, which is the first one that I came across uh, by Titanomachy RPG, um, is essentially a system based around D4s uh, where anytime you need to figure out how something you're trying to do is resolving, you roll a D4 or you roll multiple D4s depending on your stats or the situation. Um, if you roll a one, um, you don't get what you want, things get worse. Uh, with a two, you don't get what you want, but things don't get worse. With a three, you get what you want, but things get complicated. And with a four, you get what you want and more. Um, Sounds like the success, critical success, failure, critical failure kind of. I think yeah. that's what it was slightly, um, you know, inspired by. Um, and then the, you know, the, this is the core of the SRD. And then the rest of the SRD is sort of modeled, modeled around um you know, what kinds of situations might you, you, the person who is writing the game uh, based around this, give the player the option to roll 2d4 and take the highest rather than rolling just one? Um, in what sorts of situations are you, again, the person who is writing this game, uh, going to give the player the option to, you know, trade in the option to roll for a token and then later on use that token, spend that token to get an extra dice to roll. Um, the base document that came out with the original release of the Caltrop Core SRD uh, suggested a, you know, if you are writing a game, maybe you should think of writing a multiplayer game with different playbooks uh, where each player can choose a different archetype and each archetype gives you different stats um, and 
you know, maybe as gameplay goes on, uh, these stats can raise and lower. So it's, um, it is very much, like I said, you know, here's a mechanic, take it, go have fun with it, you know, go forth. Um, and when I wrote my first game, Her Odyssey, uh, I looked at this SRD and I thought, all right, this is cool. Uh, not sure what I'm ever going to do with this. You know, I don't really want to write games with, you know, different character archetypes or playbooks. Uh, you know, nothing against those games. It's not what I want to write. And then I went and took a shower and um, some like, you know, I stepped into the shower thinking I'm not going to write a Caltrop core game. And I stepped out with an idea fully formed. What's going on, everybody? My name is Alex. And my name is Diana. And we are two-fifths of Critically Stupid, a comedy Dungeons & Dragons podcast with new episodes every Friday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. If I had to pick, I'd probably say my favorite NPC in the show is Sean the Gorilla, uh, who I decided in the moment wears pants, a waistcoat, and uh, spectacles. Diana, who's your favorite NPC in the show? Uh, my favorite character is uh, Captain Davil Starsong because... In my head, y'all, he's fine AF and makes me feel a certain way. If you'd like to experience Diana red-faced and sweaty in real time, catch us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you enjoy that sweet, sweet content. You can catch updates on our Twitter, at CritStupid. Come watch me glisten. I love that this is going to be audio only, so listener, you're going to have to take my word on it. She's real good looking. <laughs> 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 it's it's water i'm I'm a water sign and i'm I'm telling you when you shower it's just like uh, the thoughts i have my best thoughts in bed and yes. in the shower I'm yeah just, just you know the places where you've got nothing to do except wait and you know the ideas start clicking together it makes total sense um and so that's where i got my idea for um you know how to adapt this for a single player game um if you are drawing cards from a deck of cards, that gives you a target number that you can roll against. And then the player can choose, you know, how many dice do they want to spend to try to meet that number. Um, her Odyssey was still Caltrop core based, so you were still rolling D4s. Uh, many numbers, you know, a suit of uh, playing cards, the suits go from one to king. Um, many numbers you really can't hit by rolling just one d4 um, but what if you can roll multiple of them and add them together and uh, figure out you know you're trying to hit a nine um, you know how many dice have you rolled so far do you really want to gamble on that third dice um, that became the spine of her odyssey and then i kept designing other games but i kept on coming back to this idea of Having a deck of cards, whether it be playing cards or tarot cards or even niche decks like Taroka cards uh, from the Curse of Strahd um, adventure, um, and then having some dice that you roll against the face value of those cards. Um, I've had games that roll 
D4s. I've had games that roll uh, D10s. I have a game that, you know, you have the gamut of between a D4 and a D12, but which one you have at your disposal keeps on changing uh, depending on how much you use them. Um, and so with sort of this idea of, you know, I have this central idea and I keep on exploring variations, but I really can't explore all these variations by myself. And I want to see other people write games like this. So it became a sort of logical next step to write down, you know, what I was thinking and just put it out there for other people to use. Um, the other sort of primary point of the Aspire SRD is that somewhere in the middle of drawing cards and rolling dice, you are going to draw a card that changes the rules. Um, in my first game, Her Odyssey, it was, uh, if you draw a joker, you know, a, a joker obviously doesn't have a number associated with it. Um, that's going to be a turning point in your story. It's going to be a point where something happens, um, or you, you thought you were going to get uh, what you were looking for, and then something else happens to subvert that. Um, in one of my other games, Untitled Moth Game, it's, you know, you draw a certain card um, that makes you clear the board entirely and start a new act with a totally new set of rules. Um, and it could be just, you know, you draw a card and it gives you a minor boost, you know, from now on, you get to roll one more dice, or from now on, um, you have uh, one more of a bonus resource, something like that. Um, because I see a lot of uh, indie TTRPGs out there that are essentially one act games. And there's really nothing wrong with that. Um, but if if one act good, why not you know two act better? Um, so, and if you already have a deck of cards, it's very easy to designate one or more of them as a turning point, and to designate one as the point at which the game ends. So that is my other sort of selling point for the Aspire SRD. I kind of would love to hear your thoughts about solo journaling RPGs, like something like Thousand Year Old Vampire or Her Odyssey? I see the creation of uh, solo journaling RPGs as mechanically similar to the creation of theater LARPs, because, again, you are writing all of these, you know, these pieces, these, these blocks, these puzzle pieces, putting them into something and handing it over to somebody and you are going to be unable to affect the way that they play the game. Um, and unlike, you know, writing a video game, you, where you can write like, all right, every time uh, the player comes over here, you know, this NPC is going to react in a certain way. Um, you can't write, you can't really write uh, reactive stuff into your game unless you're handing somebody a choose your own adventure like book, which um, some solo journaling, journaling games are veering a little bit towards that, but you know, mostly not. That's actually funny. You said that because the card game and the tabletop board mm -hmm. game <laughs> I'm thinking of is exactly yeah. that. So you're just making decisions and drawing different cards based on decisions, you know, and see where it yeah, and, and those tend to be sort of more a branching decision tree, right? 
um, which is very difficult to write just because, you know, combinatorics, it's, it's gonna, it's a very large writing load. Um, I think that a lot of solo journaling games, the ones that I've come across, take the tactic of write different modular pieces and you can't really control in what order the player is going to encounter them, but write them modularly enough so that um, these encounters can hook into each other in different configurations and give the player a different experience uh, depending on you know how they went through their particular gameplay. So as an example, um, I have a game called Galatea. It is based on the Wretched and Alone SRD, which essentially means you're going to be playing with a Jenga tower and a deck of cards. So you draw cards from this deck of cards, and for every player, um, the order in which they draw these cards is going to be different, uh, because that's what happens when you shuffle a deck of cards. Um, but for Galatea, the central premise is that you are a masterpiece of some sort of art uh, that has become sentient, and you have to figure out how to deal with the fact that your creator is expecting you to remain perfect. And so each of these cards um, is linked to a different prompt or scenario in which uh, your creator, you know, expresses criticism of a flaw that he sees in you or a bystander, you know, comes by and, um, you know, makes a scene with your creator or you discover a secret that your creator is hiding. Um, these are all impactful in their own way. Um, depending on the order in which you encounter them, they might pick up more or less significance depending on what the person who is playing this and has already, you know, written out, you know, this is how I react to something that's already happened, uh, might be bringing to each new, um, you know, prompt or scenario as it comes. And some of these prompts also tell you to pull from the Jenga tower. And so the more you get into this game and the shakier this tower gets, you know, that also influences how your mindset is playing um, how you might think that your character is getting more and more uncertain about their situation, even as you see the, the tower wobbling. Um, it might inspire you to um, take a different tack, uh, depending on, um, you know, Galatea has multiple endings. Uh, many Ratchet and Alone games do not. Uh, they just end when the tower falls. Um, so that, that impending sense of dread and of, you know, what can I do, uh, sort of really communicates itself to the character that you are writing as, um, lots of people tell me that solo journaling games are really good as writing prompts for, uh, you know, less for somebody who thinks of themselves as I want to play a game tonight and more as uh, writers who want to you know, get the words flowing, uh, have a, a quick um, writing warm up before they start you know, their real writing for the day. Um, I can see that. Uh, I actually had not played very many solo journaling games before I started writing them. Um, but it turns out that it 
they are a lot easier to write in some respects than multiplayer games because you don't have to balance mechanics around um, you know multiple people uh, maybe trying to cause conflicts with each other. Um, when you write a solo journaling game, you are essentially shaping potential pieces for one player and then leaving it in their hands how they're going to pick up those pieces and put them together into a hopefully satisfying narrative for themselves. You ended up officially becoming the director of an organization called Diversity Saves. How's it going so far? So Diversity Saves is a 501c3 registered charity um, that focuses on uh, uplifting marginalized voices in the TTRPG community. Um, and that applies for, um, you know, LGBTQ people, that ap applies for uh, neurodivergent people, it applies to uh, designers in the global south, uh, who's, you know, there's very thriving TTRPG communities in Brazil, in Indonesia that, you know, in America, we just never hear about. Um, it applies to, um, you know, all sorts of minorities. And our mission is to amplify those voices and to provide direct financial support in the forms of grants for, uh, you know, people who, um, you know, would be able to make wonderful things uh, if they had another 500 bucks to, you know, get somebody to do layout because, you know, the, the creator is disabled in some way or uh, would be able to create wonderful things, but uh, they need, you know, a, a bit of money to make rent this month uh, or childcare or something like that. Um, we take donations on, you know, just normal rolling basis uh, through our website, which is diversitysaves.org. Um, and we provide grants on a quarterly basis, uh, although our grant applications are always open. And again, on our website, diversitysaves.org. Um, once again, I got into this completely by accident. Um, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the fifth one. Go yes. ahead. Uh, life is full of happy accidents, and you should always uh, keep an eye out for opportunities that you can take. Um, my good friend Matthew of Abyssal Brews uh, told me, I want to say around this time last year, um, that his friend uh, Dag from Night Owl Odysseys was starting to put this initiative together and wanted to, um, you know, put together a board of the sorts of people that really represent uh, the exact kinds of people that we're trying to support and uplift. Um, what we ended up with is a six member board and uh, Matthew himself is uh, the only, you know, cis white male guy on the board and, uh, has uh, has has taken a, a little bit of good humored, um, you know, ribbing for that. Um, but yeah, we all have ties and connections to the sorts of people who don't get very many opportunities in the TTRPG space, um, or who don't get you know seen and platformed nearly as often. And uh, we try to provide a space where you know 
everybody can be celebrated for what they bring to the table. Um, something that I often say is, you know, if we spend so much time um, interested in TTRPGs, interested in um, going to these these different fantastical worlds where everything is strange and new and, you know, we're learning so much more about different cultures, uh, why not start with, you know, learning more about the different cultures that, you know, we can learn from real people who really exist. Um, and, you know, I personally have learned so much uh, about things like, you know, wow, there are, you know, brilliant and talented uh, designers in Brazil, uh, for example, Cesar Capacla, um, who I never would have really come across in the course of my, you know, very Anglosphere centric um, TTRPG social circles. Um, mm -hmm. If you want to learn more about diversity saves, uh, donate or apply for a grant, um, go to diversitysaves.org. Uh, if you want to learn more about me and any of my games or any of my other work, uh, please go to mirror-lock.com. Uh, that will also have links to my itch page, which is mirror-lock.itch.io. Um, if you are listening to this before July 1st, 2023, you can even join in the Aspire Game Jam that is... Uh, just a fun thing that people who are interested in writing games based off of my Aspire SRD are doing on itch. Um, you can get Aspire for free, uh, join the jam for free, uh, hang around, chat with people, you know, listen to their ideas. Um, and if you want to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at kaya at mirrorlock, kaya at mirror-lock.com. The Thief is a Dungeons & Dragons actual play with just one player, CC Way. Getting more information I think is pretty safe. And I can't let Osmond rot. And a full cast of NPCs supported with soundscapes. This isn't some pickpocket or killer or slumlord. These are important people. These are the kinds of people who, if they get your name, you cannot evade. The original world is grim, and it is unlikely the thief will survive. Created by Michael Schofield. Listen for The Thief, an audio drama. Anywhere you find podcasts and on the web at thiefpodcast.com. You're going to roll a dice and it's going to pick the thing.
the questions are quirky. That's the game, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, um, but at any time that you're ready to begin this, this destructuring of your character, um, cast the first roll um, and let us know what it lands on. Okay. All right. That is an 11. What is your go-to genre? Like alternate history, fantasy, cyberpunk, goth, horror. Magical reality, contemplation, despair. Perfect. <laughs> uh, that, that branches into, you know, historical fiction. It branches into, you know, contemporary. But it's it's got to be slightly magical in some weird weird way. And uh, there's got to be a lot of contemplation and despair. Lots of despair. This is a theme, like, throughout. Yes. Cast the next die. All right. Ten. Paragon or Renegade, do you consistently go to the good path or the dark path? Paragon. Um, I am incapable of... (laughs) Not being the goody the goody two shoes, I, I don't want to make fictional characters sad. I always find it so hard to be like, oh, just like when the like there's a there's a scene in Mass Effect, which I don't know if you've played. I'm not going to spoil anything. But one of the one of the options is like you have two options. One is like a very heartfelt plea for like to stay out of the news, and the renegade option is punch the reporter (laughs) i remember that i remember that yeah i also find that a lot of video games in particular um just have um options that are locked off if you're not paragon enough and you don't really get an Mm. awful lot of interesting things that you can only see if you're renegade enough did you ever play not to go on a random tangent on our quick rapid fire game but did you ever play knights of the old republic i have not but i have so many friends who did this is one of those games where, um, so so my critique of Paragon and Renegade is like, uh, is that Renegades are po- worse written characters than the Paragons, um, and then exploring your Renegade side is always just like comic book villain evil, and not like no, I think Mass Effect did an okay job until until just, you're just like frowning and punching people all the time. But Knights of the Old Republic, as you explore the dark powers, you actually get to, um, I mean, A, you get new powers, but there's certain things there that become options. Like um, only through the, uh, the dark side of the force can you restore life and, and offer this kind of like service, right? This kind of like resurrection-like service. And I always thought that was like really cool. Anyway. I will also I will also plug uh, the game Tyranny, uh, where you play yeah. as uh, the lieutenant of the evil overlord who has nearly conquered the entire continent, and uh, your only choices are which flavors of evil do you want to go? Do you want to? <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, chaotic. You know, uh, howling horde sort of evil. Do you want to do bureaucratic evil? Um, it's it's a very interesting take. All right. Uh, seven. What is your D&D alignment? Uh, neutral evil. It's on my Twitter bio and everything. <laughs> Didn't even skip a beat. Neutral evil. No problem. <laughs> 
I have, Kaya, I, have I have problems with the D and D um, alignment grid, sure. um, and it basically boils down to I think everybody is actually a lot more evil than they think they are, and that should be okay. Yeah, yeah. just embrace the evil. Mm-hmm. You know, write better stories for evil people. Yeah, we do, we deserve a good narrative. Yes. <laughs> Three. D12, D12. Uh, when you attack, are you do you use dexterity or strength? Can I use charisma? You can use charisma. You have to explain, though. Uh, well, the fact that you said I can means that I've already succeeded, so. <laughs> she already used the charisma on you. You failed your check in there. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> You lose, Schofield. <laughs> All right, go for it. Uh, seven again. What is your favorite card game? All right, let me think for a moment. I am an ex-Magic the Gathering player and an ex- Hearthstone player. Uh, mm. I'm not playing either at the moment, but now I'm really thinking about getting back into uh, Magic Arena. Magic is crazy right now. It's got yeah. all these really, it's really good. A lot of people are coming and, st- and starting new with it too. Yeah. I don't know this world. Magic the Gathering? Or the card game? Yeah, remember like, yeah, when we played uh, at PAX Unplugged, you basically had to show me how to like not just oh. totally... I wondered that after I destroyed you. You know, I was just like, I don't know if he knew how to play. Like, hey, do you want to play? And I was like, sure, I'll play. <laughs> and this he's just like, oh, oh. And I'm like, this is really fun. Loads of joy. Yeah. One does not simply say one knows how to play Magic. <laughs> this is 100% true. Who is your favorite game villain? I'm having a hard time not saying Lillison because uh, I love her a lot and she is absolutely a villain. Um, you can say that. I think you can say your own person. Yeah. Uh, describe what makes her a good villain. She tries real hard not to come across as villainous. Um, She tries really hard to come across as a very reasonable person who just wants to work with you. And uh, if, you know, you are going to oppose her, uh, she's just going to change your mind uh, magically and stealthily, but she's going to do it. You know, she's not going to um, let anybody stop her uh, you know, without, you know, she can change her mind, but you have to put in effort to change her mind. Um, but she knows the value of not being seen as a villain. And uh, I think that that's something that uh, a lot more villains could stand to do. Take that um, nod from politics or poli I guess, or whatever. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> It does not always behoove you to twirl your mustache. (laughs) You can get away with a lot if people think that you are harmless. 
Oh, totally. Six more questions to go. Six more questions. All right. Twelve. You failed your last death save. What are your final words? It wasn't worth it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Three. Which game is your guilty pleasure? Um, right now, I would say Vampire Survivors. If you want... What's Vampire Survivors? Oh, my oh gosh. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Um, Vampire Survivors is a game where you are the bullet hell. Mm. Bullet hell game. So you basically have nonstop monsters coming in at you. I think you can play on every device, but it's very popular on mobile. And they gave it away free during Game of the Years last year, the ceremony. And so you literally can, you literally just make choices and survive as you are destroying hordes and hordes of creatures. I, I think I know what you're talking about. I, I've never heard like the genre, like bullet hell. That's, but I, I, I mean, I can picture exactly what you're talking about. I mean, what a great descriptor. Vampire survivors. I don't think it's technically a bullet hell game, um, but yes, it's it's a game where you are constantly spewing out uh, weapons and bullets and and stuff like that. And yeah. all that you do is you move yourself and try to you know position yourself so that the weapons hit the enemies and make choices whenever you gather enough experience and level up on uh, what weapon you want to improve. Yeah, it can. It's um, I've heard of it referred to as manic shooters as well as shoot 'em up games. I mean, but it's yeah, you basically are just spawning death off of you, and you choose the death and how much death, and is the death on fire? That kind of thing. If you do not deal enough death, uh, death comes for you. If you do deal enough death, death still comes for you at yeah. thirty. But and then I hear the only way to beat the game is there's certain things that you have to do and find and unlock to then beat death. There's so many. There's It's a deceptively deep game, actually. I've seen that a lot. Uh, one of the people we interviewed here recently, and we never got the audio because I lost it we, at PAX Unplugged, was with Tunic, the, people who, the designer of the game. And it's oh, unfortunate God. because we lost that audio. And I, I should probably formally apologize to that person because they actually like, uh, were never able to to capture it it was a technical error on our part but that game is another game that has so many layers of depth to it and you don't even know that it's not just what i would refer to as post-game credit it's just no there's just every interaction mythology environment screen object is just enriched with it tunic is my current favorite game ever uh, as an ex-linguist uh it, there are many many reasons to love tunic mm -hmm. i agree Ex-linguist. I was a language science minor, and my this is this is this is my. I did not know. I did not know. We shall talk. We shall talk. <laughs> so. All right. Next dice is eleven again. Theater of the mind, or maps and miniatures. Maps and tokens. Uh, I run all my games on virtual tabletops. Um, I love, you know, having a map, um, making sure that everybody actually has the same, you know, 
picture in mind. Um, but I do want that um, digital flexibility to, you know, all of a sudden this map changes in some way. Um, making players react to sudden recontextualization is one of my favorite things uh, in all forms. Nice. Three questions remain. Five. What is your dump stat? Ooh, uh, it's a toss-up whether it is uh, strength, constitution, or wisdom. I think by now it's probably strength. Yeah. My wisdom used to be a lot lower when I was a teenager. Let's just say that. I mean, that's true, right? That's true for, for, all, for all ages. All right, one. What game should everyone play at least once? Well, I'm going to say Tunic, um, you know, for reasons that we've already discussed. It's such a good game. Um, another game that I would want to plug um, to uh, everybody interested in specifically uh, indie TTRPGs is the game Root and Knot. Uh, that is a two-page game um, about trying to escape from the grasp of the Fae, but um, you have to change yourself in order to do it, and at certain points you get to change the written rules of the game. Uh, I think that is so cool. Um, it is, you know, one of one of my aspirations to make a spire like that, um, because. Uh, changing the rules it is a powerful tool seems like a deep theme yes. i love how even how flux does it the card game simply you can just do it with and everything's different now and it's different again <laughs> 10 what is the most overrated game the most overrated game, I would say the entire Dragon Quest series of video games. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> like the Nintendo old school yeah. Dragon? Yes. Here, here. Thank God someone said it. <laughs> I thought the first one was miserably painful, uh, you know, compared to Final Fantasy. And I don't understand why it keeps getting made. And now it's online and it has hundreds of characters. And it's just, I just, uh, nothing ever stood out to me as it being exceptional or unique maybe so not to put why would you say it though sorry <laughs> i don't have nearly as much history with it as you do uh but based off of what i've seen of specifically dragon quest 11 um i could not get into any of it like i couldn't stand the systems i couldn't stand the characters i couldn't stand the story i couldn't stand you know the plot devices um i went online to see what it was that people loved about this so much and uh, all the things they said that were so beloved um i was like what and uh all of the things that they said were so beloved and also a callback to earlier games in the series i was like what and also i guess i'm not playing those games either great i love it I, I don't get it either. You look at these some game genres, right? And I know this is specifically a video game, but you're like, how did it get to 13? 
Have people played that many of 13? I don't. Yeah. I'm sure that it's made for a demographic, which is not me. Um, and I wish those people plenty of joy. I will be over here playing different games. <laughs> well, that's it. What you've got, 12 questions gotta be quick Can you handle it? Can you stick? D12, D12, roll the dice, answer well D12, D12, will you triumph or fail? I want to put on your radar that everything we're learning here, everything we've learned in our careers, building products for other people we're turning in on ourselves and with the help of our uh, uh, with with the advice of people we've been interviewing um, over the course of this podcast with the help of some friends we made at some of these gaming uh, conferences we are building a game we want to put it on your radar you know we you we like our like our camp and we like our horror and our games will kick you in the dick and suck your blood. The course of the, yeah, yeah, exactly. We're really excited over the course of the uh, over the course of the season. This is happening. We're putting a lot of stuff into it and it's going to be pretty dope. You can sign up for more on designthinkinggames.com. We've got a newsletter there. We won't spam you. And, but we'd love to know who's interested. Previously on Design Thinking LARPing. They're dressed as elves, vampires, orcs, and fairies. Look, that one is dressed like us. That's not for you. Get over here, you little frustrating, stupid robot. You're coming with us. The doors are sealed. There is no way out. We are in control now, and we have rapid protobot. The time is finally ours for a new utopia. Say goodbye to design thinking games. Design Thinking LARPing is a story about heroism. The script is written by a poorly trained AI and it is performed by your poorly trained heroes. Enjoy! gonna do we're trapped don't worry mike we can blend in we're designers right we can improvise as our heroes start to blend in with the larpers tim and michael notice that something very strange is happening the larpers seem to be taking their roles too seriously and the fantasy world they are creating seems to be coming to life Mike, you think? We need to find a way out of here before things get any crazier. We do not merely pretend to be in a world of high fantasy.
we bend the reality of this world to our will. Now, oh, my wizards and sorcerers, we shall use Rapid Protobot to elevate LARP above all types of fun. What are you doing? You must trust me. My design thinking friends. Find out in the next episode of Design Thinking Games the fate of our heroes, Tim, Michael, and, of course, Rapid Protobot, the most delightful of the three. This story continues. Thank you for listening and connecting with Design Thinking Games on TikTok, Twitch, and Twitter. You can also check out designthinkinggames.com to request topics, ask questions, or see what else is going on. Until next time, game on. Any final thoughts for our listeners, Rapid Protobot? Destroy. Destroy.